listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. All right, Jeff. So we have been kicking the tires on leads now for three straight episodes, although we had our, our celebratory 100th anniversary episode in the middle there. But we've talked about leads, what they are, why they matter, how to manage a process. We shared some new research on leads and lead generation and pipelines for firms here as we walk into you know getting closer to the second half of 21. So today, one of the things that we're going to do as we get closer to the end of this arc is just talk about some tips for how you can build a base of high quality leads, how you can get more leads into your system, how you can get a you know a healthier pipeline. So you ready to jump into that story arc? That's cool. That's what people really want. They don't want to listen to you bloviating. <laughs> well, that's my favorite verb. <laughs> <laughs> let's jump in. Let's give some people some practical stuff. All right. So let's do it. So, you know, I guess the place to start from me is I made this list off of the things that we've been working on in the last probably six or seven months with clients. And then I stepped back and said, well, wait a minute, you know, there's, there's a bunch of tactical stuff here. What's maybe more strategic that firms need to be thinking about. And hold it. You did what? You did what? I leaned forward. (laughs) Did you just say you you took a step back? I did. And I regretted it (laughs) when I said it. I was like, why did I let it slip out of my mouth? That's good. That's good. After a hundred episodes. I'm finally rubbing off on you a little and you're taking a step back. And before you get to tactics, you're thinking strategically. I know that you do that. I'm just giving you a hard time. I know you are. Like I said, I never should have said it. I hate that phrase. I'm never saying it again. It's like that team up north. Just leave them where they are. So anyway, let me say this. So it seems to me that this is about as good a time to be in consulting as you're going to have. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and it seems like demand is up. There is, you know, a lot of problems to be solved. Like clients have a lot of problems, you know, dealing with, you know, work from home and remote work and changing consumer behaviors and all kinds of layers of technology stuff. And there's capital available, right? I mean, there's even this stuff out there about how, you know, banks are doing more lending than they've ever done. So there's a lot of capital, you know, markets are high. So it just seems like a really good time to be in consulting. So the first thing it seems to me, if you want to get a healthy base of leads and pipeline is you have to sharpen your point of view because, you know, we we talked about this a couple of times. There was more thought leadership put in the universe in the last 12 months than there were in the prior 12 years, probably. So there is a lot of noise around these problems that clients have and where they need help. So it just seems to me now more than ever, you really got to make sure you've you've sharpened your point of view. You're really clear on all the stuff you and I always talk about, who you serve, problems you solve, how you solve them, substantive proof of your solution. Before you do anything, make sure that that that's crystal clear. Yeah, well put. That's exactly right. And if you haven't listened to the Intellectual Capital series... Listen to that for sure. And I would push back on what you just said. You said there's more thought leadership that's been pushed into the system in this last year. I would argue there wasn't a lot of thought leadership. There was a lot of content, right? Correct. And and the bottom line is don't push content. Just putting stuff out there doesn't do you any good. Actually, it may harm you. And you and I have seen so many examples of people just putting out newsletters and blog posts and and webinars and stuff that just 
ramble and have no focus in terms of audience or outcomes or more importantly, Jason, and I think this is, you didn't say this, but I think it it was implied in what you said is sharpen that I see on specific points in the buying cycle as well. Because if you want to generate leads and move them through the pipeline, you have to be overcoming the hurdles that are hindering its movement. And we talked about that extensively, but it does no good to generate a lead if it's going to get stuck somewhere. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So, and you're right. I use thought leadership as a metaphor for content, which is something that people do all the time and it's not, they're not interchangeable. Super valid point. All right, let's jump ahead. So we're going to get a little more tactical because I, we've, we've done so much on intellectual capital and I would actually point listeners back even to really, I don't know, we'll put it in the show notes, but early episode, probably in the first 20 or so, where we talked about how to develop your point of view that might even be a little bit more concrete and tactical than what was in the intellectual capital series we just wrapped. So kind of going there. One of the things that we've been doing with our clients is just sort of looking at more tactically, what are some things you can do, particularly online, if you're getting a, a healthy base of traffic, but you're not getting the early stage marketing qualified leads you'd like? nor the late stage sales ready leads you'd like, right? And we talked a little bit about nomenclature and we also talked about some of the data on lead activity in our last episode. And one of the things in that particular study that I talked about last time was I basically asked consulting firms, what, you know, what are you doing as it relates to lead generation tactics? And it was a, it's a laundry list of stuff, SEO, SEM, social media, paid media, assessment tools, all kinds of stuff. And it's, you know, there's a little chart on this and it's, you know, as you can gather, it's just a collection of things, bars and up and down the, the gamut. And the things that was interesting about it was that the things that people are investing in the most are the things that are sort of the oldest and the obvious, right? It's like they're doing outbound email, they're doing organic social media, they're doing stuff that they've been doing for a really long time. And the things that firms tend to be doing the least are things like, maybe investing in assessment tools or chat bots or ways to interact with traffic and move traffic into a conversation. So I say all that in that it's kind of like, use this as a chance to invest where others aren't. So put your resources where people are not putting their resources. Other firms are not putting their resources for you know a variety of reasons. And so we can talk about some of those in more detail. Yeah, I think that's the old, <laughs> when they zig, you you zag. And research has shown, and Miller Hyman and CSO did some some great research on this, where we are right now in this content marketing fad slash trend is that people are so inundated with information. And if you want to zig while others are still pumping content into the system, then look at ways to help prospects cut through all the noise. And there's any number of ways of of doing that. And I think the clients that I'm working with that are most successful are bringing, you know, some kind of sanity to (laughs) an overly complex and just information overload for clients. And they do that by 
pointing out the good stuff, pointing out the downside risk of certain ideas, and translating all that information into a very customer-centric perspective, right? This is how this information applies to you and to your organization and this issue at this time. And, you know, top consulting firms know that. And it's, it, it goes beyond, you know, kind of the consultative sale because you're cutting through noise, not just kind of collaboratively pre-solving the problem. Does that make sense? No, it, it makes tons of sense. And there, there's a firm that comes to mind for me called The Real Story Group. Have you ever seen The Real Story Group? Mm-mm. They're sort of a, a technology advisor a la like a Gartner or a Forrester, but they're much smaller, I think anyway, I could be wrong. And they're more objective. You know, I, I always think at the end of the day, Gartner and Forrester, the business model has a little bit of a conflict of interests inherent to it in that they, you know, they take comp, you know, large compensation from SaaS platforms for access to their analysts and analysts and whatever else and to produce their magic quadrants and everything else. I don't know. I think as a buyer, buyers end up taking them with a little bit of a grain of salt because they know that the people that show up in those quadrants are paying money on the other side of the coin. The real story group doesn't really do that. That's sort of like a, they're more of a niche and they just tell you what the name of the company is. Like, here's what, here's how it is. You know, I haven't sat through much of their stuff, but the stuff I have sat through over the years does exactly what you just said. It's more like a conversation about what's going on and how to think about something than it is a presentation of their, you know, whiz bang in new, new intellectual capital framework, which is sort of one of my tips, the things that I, you know, there, there's a, I, I started talking to marketers a little while ago, because when you think about this whole content explosion and you think about the pandemic, you know, and we, you and I have talked about this, but last spring when the pandemic first hit, I know we did a lot of webinars to really sort of help marketers and firm owners and leaders think through what to do and how to handle it. The most well-attended webinars I've ever produced, you know, Rattleback alone ever, um, highest attendance we ever saw. And then I've noticed in the first quarter of this year, webinar attendance has declined inside of our clients. I've been helping our clients with their webinars and their attendance has been going down. I have not personally done any Rattleback webinars this year, so I can't speak to you know whether we're where we would be. But anyway, they were getting frustrated, so I started reaching out to other marketers, and I learned that that's sort of a trend. It's like it's like everyone's kind of a little burned out of just being talked at for twelve months, you know, sit in a Zoom room and listen to somebody like you or me pontificate on what they think they should be doing. And I think the best solution is what you said. It's 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 you, you you're still probably going to want to have some type of online live event experience for people going forward. I just can't see that going away because it's such an effective way to connect with people over distances, inconvenience for them. And I think the best way to do that is to shift those from being one-way dialogues into more live conversations a la, you know, a talk show or something type setting where it's, you know, kind of like we do. It's a two-person conversation about a topic that's that's streamed live rather than a canned deck with, here's our framework for how to think about whatever you want to talk about, right? And engage the audience more. So I've kind of wrapped this up under this idea of just stop talking at people and start talking with them, which maybe going full circle. Maybe that was the feedback we got in our podcast. We bloviate at people too much. <laughs> so, so we have to bring people into the fold. So we've done that, right? But I actually think it's a really valid point, which is if, you know, if you're going to 
get leads in the system, you, you have to have an engaging model by which people feel like they're part of a conversation, not just a body on, or a number on a, on a registration list. Does that make any sense? It makes perfect sense to me. And, you know, it's, it's one of my newest and many mantras, and it comes from, from Seth. And it's just absolutely brilliant for the time and place we find ourselves. And it goes back to point one about, you know, sharpening your point of view. You're really not going to change somebody's point of view. You're going to speak into it. And there's there's a difference between those two. And I know there's nuances. You know, we talked about that in the challenger sale and and stuff. But you know what what Seth said was people like us do things like this. People self-identify into their groups. You know, I as a cyclist, as a roadie in particular, you know, there's certain mores, there's certain things that we do. Those groups exist everywhere around every subject, hobby, work area. We see ourselves in a certain context, a self-perception, and we have to speak into that. That's why stories are so powerful. And we talked about that in the story episodes. And if you're going to move the ball on leads, generating them, you have to speak into that, but you have to continue that deep understanding of people like us. So talking with versus talking at, I absolutely love that. After a hundred episodes, I now have two things brilliant that you've shared with me. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have two questions for you though. The first question is you mean Seth Rogan, right? No. <laughs> and and my second question is you said you're a roadie. Does that mean you like work for a band? Yes. Yes. <laughs> See? See, you're not like me. You're not like me. But the roadies are people like this that do things like that. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> Oh, you had a different All right, what's your next one? Right next so. one, you're bloviating. Oh, that was, was too, too, too beautiful. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. So, I mean, getting even more tactical, you know, the other things that we've been doing, again, is, is how do you make a website itself a more bi-directional experience? How do you make it not be? I mean, one of the things I've, I've been talking about this for four or five years, and it's been a struggle to get firms to wrap their head around it, but just this idea that the web is the most interactive medium ever invented, yet we continue to use it like it's a one directional media. We continue to use it to, you know, broadcast a video, to publish an article, to just kind of continue the same model we've always had. And I just think there's some really interesting things that firms are doing to change that, you know. And one of them that we've been exploring and, and trying to do more with is, you know, more interactivity. So there's 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 still one directional interactivity that we've been introducing on a lot of client sites, helping them do this. Just, you know, not big bold in your face pop-ups, but elegant slide up, you know, interactive elements that encourage someone to take an action, maybe encourage someone to subscribe to a newsletter or learn about a practice or 
you know, begin a conversation. So we just a little bit of interactivity, which is still not bi-directional. The other things that we've been exploring, and I think we're going to have a guest on soon to talk about that, is interactive assessment tools, which let you take you know, research you might have or thought leadership you have and enable someone to interact with that thought leadership. Um, so it's not just you know reading your white paper. It's saying, okay, well, let me answer some questions and see how my organization stacks up against your your research. Or let me answer some questions and get you know some initial thoughts from the firm's intellectual capital model about where my issue is and how I might address it. So we're going to have on a guest coming up here soon to talk about that. And some of, not just the, the, the notion of an assessment is not really anything new. In fact, we've been doing them for some of our clients now for the better part of seven or eight years. But I think what's interesting is there's a lot of backside sales intelligence to be gained if you do them right. And the last thing I'll throw out there is something that we've been really exploring and haven't done anything with yet meaningfully, but it's just chat tools. And I know people kind of get on their heels and go, ah, oh, chat, I hate chat. But if you stop and think about it, and I've done some talks about this at the Profiting from Thought Leadership Conference, I did it. You know, a well-designed, well-built chat tool for a, a, a large consultancy or a professional services firm, especially one that publishes a lot of content and has any diversity in their offering, is like a digital concierge. It's basically this incredible tool that you can deploy. You can mix and match humans and bots, right? And you can help people find their path. You know, so they show up at a site and, and, and the chat tool is, is a way to engage them in a dialogue. You know, what are you trying to solve for here? What are you trying to learn? Let me direct you to the most valuable assets that we have that can help you do that. And there's only a handful of firms that I've stumbled upon that have even you know, kind of stuck their feet into these waters. And I think the potential there is massive, especially as you, if you look at ahead and think about the role of machine learning and how that's, you know, going to be a much, much bigger part of the development environments, that type of digital concierge-like experience could be incredibly valuable, especially for any firm that is in the group we talked about that published more content in the last three months than they did in the prior three years, which is the quote that I heard over and over again from marketers and editorial leaders. So those are some of the tactical things that we've been either investing in with clients or helping them think about or encouraging them to think about. So start thinking about this. You know, It may not be something you want to do right now, but it's something you probably will want to be doing very soon. What are some of these examples of firms that are using chat well so our listeners can check it out. Well, I mean, the first and obvious example in this to just the SaaS category itself is Drift. Of course, Drift is is one of these providers of chat tools, but I will say that they're 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 really good at deploying it themselves on their own platform in a way that's incredibly elegant. A firm that actually my first kind of introduction to chat in the professional services environment, I'd not seen any firms use it before, is a firm called Fortium Partners. And I was talking with them, and I know that they've had a lot of success with their chat tool. And they've actually used a couple of different providers to help them do it, a couple of different platforms. And so that's one I would point people to if you want to see a chat tool in action and how it works. They've had a lot of success with it. So I, I just have one question to follow up on what you just said. Uh, do you have to spend $100,000 to make your website more bi-directional? <laughs> I will tell you, I will say the same thing I said in that last episode where you're always wrong and I'm always right. I will say this, the investment you make is a function of the outcomes you hope to achieve, right? So if you think that you can originate millions of dollars in new revenue through your web platform, then there is absolutely nothing wrong with making investments at that scale in some type of bi-directional experience if you believe or you have 
you know, data or whatever, you have a business case for the upside revenue you're going to create. And what is it going to take? I don't have an answer for that, obviously, because it all depends on how you approach it. I'll give a really random story and I'll never forget it. I was at an event once and I heard a speaker and I can't remember his name. He was from a European company and he said that he had a client say to him once, you know, every time I call your company, I just love calling there because the people who answer your phones are so kind and so professional and so knowledgeable. They know everything. And he said, well, we handle that differently in Europe than you do in the US. We, we think it's the first point of interaction for our customers. So we think it's the most important, one of the most important jobs in the whole company. So we hire people who are exceptional at the, at the front and we pay them quite well to be that voice for the company. It's like American companies, you know, they, they look at that as the, the least important job and they, and they try to make it a cost to be managed and turn it into an automated teller, right? Automated attendant. I would argue this is no different. If you want to build a great digital bi-directional experience, it's really going to change the way your clients interact with it. That might be more expensive than just throwing up some low-end, cheap, you know, freemium chatbot that doesn't really work very well. Does that make sense? You're so sensitive. No, I'm not sensitive. I'm just being honest. <laughs> Just trying to correct you. I've been trying to correct you on that point now for 78 episodes, but you can't seem to figure it out. All right. So what's your next one? What's my next one? What do you mean? Yeah. Are we done? (laughs) I think I'm out of ideas. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, You know, one of the things that we never covered that I think is, well, I have several that I think are really important. So many professional services firms today are working through channel partners and managing that, that channel is really important to lead gen and how you work it is critical and you know top firms and and we we saw this with j labs and and spalding ridge in particular that the key to channel success and we're speaking to the choir probably for i think for most people but it's it's transferable in so many ways is those channel partnerships are bi-directional and you have to give in order to get, and you have to have a deep understanding of each of those channel partners. Again, going back to the comment about how you add value on the front end, and that's curating and cutting through all the noise, but really managing the channel partners effectively. And because they're looking for market share and they're looking for speed of sale. And that's the value proposition you have to offer them first before the leads start coming to you because they want to be able to bring in channel partners that are going to add value on that end of of the sales cycle. Take the time, sales and marketing, to sit down and, and think through the channel partner strategy in detail. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I definitely went much more granular and thought about the market-facing things that firms do. I think an interesting episode we might want to do is around technology-enabled services under the context of there was a time when you could kind of group consulting firms under a bucket of IT services. But I'm wondering if that time has just passed, if every consulting firm in existence has to be aligned with some suite of technology partners, if they're going to be successful going forward. I think that would be a really interesting episode to do. Yeah, I think it would be. I, I think there's two sides and strong sides arguments to, to both of those. So I, let me extend on that a, a little more. The using referral partners, right? You know, the accounting and, and law 
industries, insurance, financial services industry, you know, are, are very interdependent because generally when people and particularly more affluent people are bigger, more complex organizations, you know, have multifaceted issues that they're addressing where they need subject matter experts coming in from any different, any number of places. I think often we think, oh, well, you know, I have this connection and we can kind of, I'll stay in touch with him and or her and hope something comes. But referrals are probably the best lead source and they have to be proactively managed. And again, it is about giving and giving a lot before you get. But again, sitting down, sales and marketing, and looking for ways to really fire up the referral engine, and not just from existing clients. I'm, I'm talking about you know third parties, and what does that look like? Because it definitely takes coordination in order to get scale. I mean, individuals can you know manage their own individual relationships, but it's hard to scale it. And marketing can add a lot of value in terms of the scale and, and technology as well. And I think that's, that's another thing that people can focus on to generate leads. But it's not going to be fast. It's not going to be fast. And we started this series talking about you don't just turn on a spigot and leads come, right? It takes time to gear up on these things. Wise words to end on, my friend. So I still had eight more. I'm sure you did. We're going to have to save those for another day. So, all right, let's take a wrap. And I think next time we're hoping to have on a guest to talk about some of the things we talked about today. And then we're going to probably move on to a new topic. So pleasure spending time with you again this week. I'll talk to you next. See you, buddy. All right, see you. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. 